The Koffler Gallery is proud to present the world premiere of a heart-wrenching and fascinating exhibition, The Synagogue at Babinyar, Turning the Nightmares of Evil into a Shared Dream of Good. Opening on the eve of Yom HaShoah, April 17th, and running until November, the multidisciplinary exhibition tells the bittersweet story of the Babinyar Synagogue, which stands on the grounds of the first large-scale massacre of the Holocaust in 1941. Experience the full historical, political, artistic, and spiritual context of this incredible monument for the first time. The exhibition is free of charge. To learn more, visit CofflerArts.org. I don't think anyone in Rwanda can forget it. It was amazing. Of course, the, the British on the jeeps were coming and passing. I mean, for them, uh, it was very good, too, because it meant maybe they'll go home. Hadassah Kingstone was born in 1936 in Haifa, under the British mandate at the time. And she was 11 years old when the United Nations voted to partition the country into an Arab and Jewish state. I don't think anyone, there's anyone who doesn't remember the night. It was 29th of November, and it was the United Nations. We shall proceed to vote. Those who are in favor will say yes. Those who are against will say no. And the abstainers, always they, they know what to say. And I remember a lot of people sitting around the, the old, old box trade, yes, do you remember? We will start it now. And the counting. Belgium? Yes. Bolivia? Yes. Afghanistan? No. Cuba? No. Egypt? No. Dominican Republic? Yes. Greece? No. Canada? Yes. Yes. It was... 15, 16, 17, 26, Couldn't breathe. And at the end, of course, they came and they said... The resolution was adopted by 33 votes, 13 against, 10 abstentions. Yes. Yes, we have a country. And in, in two seconds, in two seconds, everybody was outside on the street. There was a fire, a bonfire in the middle of the street and music and people were dancing. In honor of Israel's 75th birthday today, we'll be telling the story of Israel through a unique point of view. Hadassah Kingstone, she's my friend's mother and I've known her almost all my life. And you can tell by her accent that she's Israeli, but she's also Canadian. She was born a Sabra before Israel existed, and her parents barely escaped the Holocaust. They set out from the Bukovina in Romania and joined the clandestine Zionist pioneers sneaking into Palestine under the radar of the British mandate. As a child, Hadassah was an eyewitness to life under the British. Then the Second World War, her parents joined the armed struggle to build a Jewish nation. Then the 48 War. And then, for the next 30 years, Hadassah upped and moved to Montreal, where she fell in love, married, and raised a family. But the pull of her native land and missing her aging parents drew her back to Tel Aviv, which has now been home for 33 years. And even today, she participates in the pro-democracy protests, together with the residents of the seniors' complex she lives in in Tel Aviv. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is a special edition of the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. My conversation with Hadassah begins at the beginning and how her parents got to Israel just before Hitler closed the escape routes from Europe. My father uh, went to the army 
to the Romanian army. And when he came out of there at the age of 24, by that time he knew my mother. And he said at 24, he said, Europe is not for the Jews. And he decided to go to Israel. He went to Israel, couldn't bring my mother because at the time it was the certificate season. You know, you couldn't go in without a special commission from the British. So he went thinking that he'll work and then he'll bring my mother. It took two years. He went back. They were married religiously. They married civilly beforehand and they went to Israel. They came to Israel in 1935. I was born in 36. In 38, my mother took me, May 38, I want you to hear it. She took me on a trip to Europe to see her parents. I was the first grandchild. And a month later, my father sent a cable and said immediately on the first boat to Israel. It was a big fight there. The family wanted her to stay because he said the war will be in Palestine. And my mother said, I can't, I'm going back. It was a big fight and she went back to Israel. And of course, a lot of the family went to, to the usual doors, unfortunately, in camps. Um, my grandparents on both sides went, my father's uh, three sisters went, uh, my mother's parents went, you know. So they, uh, we, the, the family, the small family, I was an only, I was an only child, I am an only child, um, was, uh, we were in Israel, we were also, we also survived. And that was it, and we were in Israel. My parents came, both of them spoke Hebrew. My father had, um, in 36, before I was born, my father was working in, uh, in the biggest uh, match factory in Israel called Nur. He was the accountant. And one day, one of the Arabs came to him and he said, uh, if you want to survive, you pick up right now and run away. We lived in Kriyat Motskin, which is one of the small uh, villages outside uh, Haifa in the north. And by the time he closed his bag and went out, the first dead was already lying there. Do you remember I, being afraid of the Arabs in the late 30s, like when you were three, four, five years old? And no, like, no, not at all. First of all, you know, we lived in an area which was all uh, Jewish. They lived in the villages around and they used to come in. They used to come to sell eggs, you know, for example. They, the women used to come to do the wash, the laundresses, you know, um, came in. I don't remember ever being afraid of them. I don't at all. Um, there was no reason, you know. My parents, maybe my father saw another extreme of this, but I never went through. I was afraid of the British. I was scared of the British. I mean, there was no question about that. Living across the street from the British police station meant being cordial but careful. And if you've watched the Beauty Queen of Jerusalem series on Netflix, it was sort of like that. You know, I saw somebody, you know, we used to call them Kalaniot. In the, they look like uh, poppies, but they're Kalaniot. They come in red, in purple, white, all kinds of colors. And they wore the, the beret that they wore were kind of purplish. So they called them Kalaniot. And when I, yeah, yeah, the boys, yeah, the soldiers, you know. When I saw somebody from far away, boy, did I run. And what happened with your father's Haganah duties? Do you remember what his 
he had to do? He actually worked in the Haganah. My father was a general manager of a Weiss uh, factory or whatever you call it, you know, uh, the first one in Israel, the biggest one in Israel. He was running it. And he used the place to hide guns. He was hiding uh, guns for the... Uh, yeah. there, there were all kinds of hush-hush things. I was thinking a lot about it since you called me. Uh, you know, they did from our apartment, they did um, radio uh, that they used to come. It was, again, it was a no-no. And they used to come. I remember her, this little woman with the glasses, with a little suitcase. She would run in with some people. They would close all the doors and keep her in an inside room. And she would go ahead. And she did all of the announcements against the British from our house. This land is mine God gave this land to me And I remember uh, boats coming, the immigrants. You know, they would come at night, they would spill out of the boats and the Israelis would wait for them. They would exchange clothing and take them to all kinds of places. So I remember a few times people coming and staying overnight in our house where they got new clothing, uh, new papers, uh, food and they kept on going you know the next day then i see a land where children can run free was your mother involved at all in any of the uh yeah. clandestine resistance activities too yeah my mother was a watchwoman you know, they had certain specific places, especially where you had the wadis, you know, the mountains going down, you know, they had people watching there all the time, all the time. So she did her duty there. During elementary school, Hadassah remembers her father served as an anti-aircraft gunner and her house came under fire from 1940 to 1941 during the Second World War. Yeah, so he was in the Haganah. He fought... Uh, for a bit, he was trained as an anti-airplanes gunner. So he fought as a gunner. I remember the Second World War when the Italians bombed Israel. I remember the shelter. As my mother always laughed. She said, the minute we heard the alarm, I was the first one in the shelter. I went so fast, nobody could keep up with me. She attended the Reali School and describes those years before the establishment of the state as normal. Now a preteen, Hadassah experienced the elation of the November 1947 partition plan, and six months later, the Declaration of Independence in Tel Aviv on May 14, 1948. But while Jews in the world celebrated, the mood in Israel turned grim. They knew they were in for the battle for the survival of the young state in the War of Independence. Nobody was afraid until the next morning. But that more that night, it was, I, I don't think, I can't remember any kind of annihilation in, in anything happening as it was that night. It was unbelievable. And you know that when uh, I was in the generation that we were 300,000 and then by the time, by uh, 47, 48, I think it was 600,000 Jews. That's all what Israel had. So there was a closeness that you don't find today or anywhere. And what happened with your father's Haganah 
duties after that day because they knew then that there was going to be trouble and a war, right? And that it wasn't yeah, going to go yeah, over well. Yeah. Do you remember what his he had to do? Uh, he was he was older at the time already, so he didn't serve really as a regular this. But when he had uh, the, the uh, company that he was working for, the Rice Company, was an essential. You know, somebody had to be there, and he was running it. And uh, so he didn't serve in the army afterwards, no. But uh, for years, you know, he served as a as a walker up and down the street, you know, watching the streets for years. I mean, at the end, they told him it's enough. We should give back the gun, and he didn't want to. But they said, seventy-five, stay home with your wife. There were difficult years. It was years that. Uh, there was not very much to eat, and whatever we ate came in big boxes from the States, like the eggs came in in a form of powder, and uh, sugar they didn't have, and the coffee was chicory that you couldn't swallow, and uh, you got uh, a, a little piece of fish like that per person a week, and uh, butter. I had a tiny little piece of butter for the whole week. Uh, this is how really basically, but uh, but I don't. I remember. I remember the attack on Haifa. I remember uh, the same man who was the policeman who worked with the Englishman. He was uh, he was driving around the streets among others with the megaphones. You know the, the megaphone, yeah. And they were begging the Arabs not to leave. Don't go. Stay in the city. We won't touch you. Everything will be fine. But the Arabs, the other side, kept on screaming, run away, run away, because the Israelis are coming. They are going to murder you. They are going to finish you. They're going to. Uh... So they, unfortunately, they all ran away with the food on the plate and the, the pots being simmered on the, this, and they ran away. But I remember when they keep on saying, but they came and we... I remember them going around and saying, don't run away, stay, you'll be protected by us. And it's true that Haifa is the, one of the few cities that, uh, you know, the two sides are living together side by side in the same buildings and the same this. It's amazing. So in 48, you were 12 years old. Were you doing anything as well yourself to help the Yishuv and whatever you were doing? No. The 16, 17 years old joined the uh, and I know my neighbors, you know, I remember the son who was murdered, uh, but uh, we were too young. When it was her turn, Hadassah served in the Israeli army in the 1950s in the Suez Crisis in 1956, also known as the Second Arab-Israeli War. To bring about, as soon as possible, a ceasefire. That's Lester B. Pearson, a future prime minister of Canada, speaking to the UN General Assembly his idea was to create and send a military force called the UN Peacekeepers to the Suez that saved Hadassah and other Israeli soldiers from doing their military service in a bloody long proxy war between the world's great powers to control the region. For his efforts, Pearson won the Nobel Prize. As so many young Israelis do after their national military service, Hadassah was ready to travel. She was 21, and she first went to Amsterdam to seek out some of her family's relatives who'd survived the Holocaust. Next, she landed in Canada in 1959, and she took a job at the Israeli consulate in Montreal. It was a glamorous spot for the young Sabra, where she met and married an up-and-coming Montreal lawyer, Danny Kingstone. 
How how was that to feel as one of the original Sabras that was born in Israel? <laughs> Terrific. A little scary. Uh, I've never been out before. It was the first time. My English was not perfect. I left Israel on a boat called the Patrick. So this is, I, I, uh, I felt for the first time how it is to be in a foreign country. And it was, uh, it was good. I had no problem. You know, it was the times that when I came afterwards to Canada, coming from Israel was a big deal. <gasps> you were born in Israel. You lived in Israel. Your parents are there. How is it? It's everywhere I went. It was wow. Wow. Dissipated with the years, <laughs> almost disappeared. I'll tell you, the first time I remember uh, getting a phone, we lived on Iona. Do you know Iona? The school across from the school. I remember getting a phone call. I picked up the phone and somebody started on the other side cursing me. Dirty Jew, what are you doing here? Get out of here, go to your own country. I, was, I put down the receiver, I said, I'm going back home. It was, for me, it was the first time I came through across anti-Semitism. Who knew what is anti-Semitism? I knew that uh, you were told you were not supposed to marry a non-Jew. But anti-Semitism, my parents told some story. Then it told a few little stories that were really non-stories, nothing. But that's, that's left a big mark on me. In Canada, in Montreal. Then I heard the other side. <laughs> there, was, there was a lot of anti-Semitism. At the consulate, Hadassah had a front row seat organizing the official visits to Canada by some of Israel's legendary leaders, including Golda Meir. She was foreign minister then. She would later become Israel's first female prime minister. Would you please rise and join with me in a very hearty shalom to Her Excellency, the Prime Minister of the State of Israel. Mrs. Goldemeyer. The whole city was invited, and all the who's and who's in the Jewish you know, community always thought that they have to be the first in line. But I remember the cigarettes, I remember the heavy shoes, the handbags, she was not important things. Other leaders filed through Hadassah's office at the consulate, Pinchas Sapir, the finance minister, and later she met Menachem Begin who enchanted her youngest child, Astri. But with Begin, on one of our, our trips to Israel, I went with the three kids. Astri was just about turning two. And we sat on the plane and across the aisle from me sat Begin and his daughter. And Astri was lively. She got up and she moved and she danced and he was sitting and clapping and singing to her. It was so cute and she was dancing. He, he was a really an exceptional man. For the next 30 years, the young mother and wife integrated into Montreal's Jewish community. Eventually, she began volunteering at her children's school, the Jewish day school known as the JPPS. And that job in the library became permanent. Hadassah watched from afar as her homeland grew, but also Israel's perpetual wars, including the stunning capture of land in the Six-Day War of 1967. Uh, 67 war. Danny and I, the day broke, the 7th of June, something, 
we were on a plane flying back from Holland to Montreal when they announced over the tele over the uh, intercom that the war started in Israel. It was awful. It was awful to be up there on a plane and knowing that the country is going into a war. It was devastating for me. In times of crisis, Hadassah and her community in Montreal rallied around the young state. Even 50 years ago, when Israel was blindsided by the launch of the Yom Kippur War in October of 1973, Hadassah's 37th birthday, the war was utterly devastating and one of the darkest moments in Israeli history. Leonard Cohen was just two years older than her. The Montrealer made his way to the Sinai Desert and he sang for Israeli soldiers on the front line. You can hear him on this broadcast from Army Radio. Oh, I, I really don't know. I, you know, I just... Um, <laughs> it's impossible for me to talk, man. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't have anything to say. You know, I'm just a, an entertainer here. Maybe it was a midlife crisis, but in her 50s, the pull of missing her homeland and her parents eventually proved too strong. And in 1990, when Hadassah's three kids were grown and had their own careers, she convinced her husband, Danny, to leave Montreal and move to Israel just in time for the Gulf War. But there was a war, and I was never in any of the wars until uh, when we arrived here, which was the... Uh, we, we came in December, December 7th, 9th, uh, 1990. And the war started in January, January 91. And it was the Gulf War. So you remember the scuds, and you had to go on down into the basement, yeah. I assume? No, no, you, you didn't leave the house. They came, you had a few seconds until they exploded. So we covered everything with plastic sheets, you know, from the ceiling down to the bottom. And we were supposed to close off an area where we have the bathroom and uh, a little refrigerator or something with food on the side because you were not supposed to go out the minute it falls. They thought it was all going to be chemical, you know, and this is why it's... Uh, and the first night, this first rockets fell in Tel Aviv. And uh, we were rushed, you know, the, the alarm came and we rushed, we put the masks on. And then he says, I'm choking, I'm choking. I'm looking at him. <laughs> you know, there's two openings for the, for the air and it was closed. He forgot to open it. <laughs> put it on. Yeah, so that was a very different kind of a war. For the past 33 years, living in Tel Aviv, Hadassah Kingstone has been impacted by many more key events in Israel's history, including the turbulent street protests of the mid-1990s, very reminiscent of today's, after Israel's then-Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin signed the Oslo Peace Accords with the PLO leader Yasser Arafat. The Oslo Accords set up Palestinian rule in Gaza and the West Bank, but the deal angered the right, led then by opposition leader Benjamin Netanyahu. Rabin would be assassinated in 1995 by a right-wing Israeli opposed to what he'd said was giving the land of Israel to the Arabs. Nearly three decades later, Hadassah Kingstone is protesting, although she's too old to stand for hours in solidarity with the pro-democracy groups that have been sweeping the country under Netanyahu's new coalition government. We are not at the stage that we can go with a lot of people who push you around and standing and walking, you know, it's impossible. But I told you that we do it during the day. We go out for two hours, we sit on the stairs, there are stairs in front of the building. So we put chairs and we sit there with big... Uh, I wish I could go, I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> besides that it's important, it's very exciting. 
it's very exciting to go out into a protest, believing very strongly in what you are fighting for. It's very exciting to be there. She's sick about the recent sharp turn to the right of Israeli politics. I watch TV and I just feel like sitting and crying. I, just, I can't believe, I can't believe how everything is falling apart. Lies and lies and lies and, and hatred and looking down at people. Terrible, terrible, terrible. It's not what it used to be. It's not what it used to be. Tel Aviv, again, you know, they say it's like a bubble, but Tel Aviv, they say all the time, they say, oh, Tel Aviv, they only sit in coffee houses, they drink, they smoke. But when the time comes, where do you get 160,000 people from all over the country, but basically from Tel Aviv? What do you think your parents would have thought if they were still alive today? What would they say about Israel at 75? What my mother always said, it could have been such a wonderful place, such a beautiful country. It could have. You know, we would drive in the car and I would go to Haifa, I would bring them to Tel Aviv. And uh, my mother and I always, oh, look at the flowers, look at the colors. And my kids still today laugh at that. And I kept, I kept saying, Tistakli, Tistakli, She said, yeah, could have been a wonderful country. It's a very, it's a very disappointing feeling, yeah. But hopefully, 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 I don't know if they'll settle this business now and we'll have to, we'll be able to clear it off the table. Maybe. We need the Jews of the diaspora. This is what we need and we don't have them. We're losing them left and right. The American Jews, the students, they go to university, they don't even want to hear about Israel. How are the feelings that you have influencing? Is it changing how you feel about the 75 years? No, I, I think that they should celebrate because we did get here and what we did here is unbelievable, unbelievable. And people deserve to be happy about it and they deserve to celebrate. And we are having uh, a few days, we have Yom HaShoah on Monday night. A few days later, you know, just before Yom HaTzma'ut, we have Yom HaZikaron to the soldiers. We have so many sad things. We have family being torn apart now with the whole story of the politics. They should throw everything out the window and go and celebrate. Celebrate for what, what we have achieved, what we have done, what we have here, and hopefully we'll have here. You know, today it's very easy to be negative about it, but we can't afford it. At 86 years old and living in retirement, she prepares to mark the one-year Yortzeit anniversary of the death of her beloved Danny. Hadassah watches with anguish, but also with pride, too, as Israel celebrates its 75th birthday. And she does her part to continue the fight for a Jewish state that her parents began nearly a century ago. What are you the most proud of for Israel's 75th? I suppose that we have survived all of these years and we have built an incredible country. And we have survived against everybody's ideas and feelings that will never make it. And it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful country. It's really a wonderful country with wonderful people that from time to time uh, fall down a little bit, but we get up and we keep on going. And I love, I love it here. I love the beach. <laughs> I love the weather. I love my friends here. And I love living here. That's the bottom line. I love living in Israel. 
And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. A very special thank you to our producer, Zachary Kaufman, who designed the sound and parts of the script for this show. I hope you've enjoyed our week of Israel at 75 stories. Next week, it's our two-year anniversary at the CJN Daily and Jewish Heritage Month. Thanks for listening. We'll be back then. UJA's Walk with Israel is happening this Victoria Day, Monday, May 22nd. Join thousands of community members for the world's largest Israel Solidarity Walk, followed by an epic Israeli-themed beach party to celebrate Israel's 75th birthday. Get all the details by visiting walkwithisrael.com. This is our moment to unite as one strong and proud Jewish community, religious and secular, left and right, Jews and allies. Everyone belongs at the Walk with Israel. Register before May 19th, and if you use the promo code CJN, you can save 10% on all Walk Bundle packages. To register, visit walkwithisrael.com.